0: Hey there, it's Sarah. Thanks for listening to Mother Culture. We're excited to give you this episode today on our motherhood origin stories. And we wanted to tell you to keep an eye out for the first episode of our Mother Culture Movie Club, which will drop soon as a bonus episode and where we will grapple with one of our favorite holiday moms, Kate McAllister, from Home Alone. If you want to become a member of our paid Patreon community and have access to future movie club episodes, please go over to Patreon slash Mother Culture Pod. Cheers. I'm Miranda Frake. I'm Sarah Wheeler, and this is Mother Culture, where we take on motherhood through the lens of culture, and culture through the lens of motherhood.
1: Hello, Sarah. How are you doing today? Hi. I'm
0: I'm all right. We just got back from uh, a week off. I know that's nothing to you, <laughs> um, having endured a week's long teacher strike, but. Um, we had a week off of school, so I guess I thought like the day going back would be miraculous, but I think I'm still like recovering. And maybe in like two days, on like Wednesday, I will rise like a phoenix out of the too much time with my children ashes, and I don't know, make something beautiful.
1: Mm-hmm. How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm good. We the yeah the strike ended last night and um which is I mean I think I haven't seen the terms but uh, loosely woohoo tentative woohoo yeah I think that most of the parents I have talked to um don't care (laughs) what the terms are (laughs) no that's what that sounds mean um Hopefully it yeah, worked it does out. Sound mean, girl. I think that the problems here are so entrenched that whatever they've agreed to is probably insufficient. And yeah. it will be down to things like ballot measures and um elections and allocations of funding at like the state level. You know, so I think that there is some resolve and then it's probably more like real change hopefully will happen
0: later. Yeah, that's an interesting like tension. Right. That I felt that way with the Oakland teachers strike. I think that as far as teacher strikes go, they were enormously successful in, you know, how large of a raise they got it. Depending on the teacher, it was something like 10 to 15 percent and bonuses. And I've talked to teachers in the district who were like, I noticed that difference on my paycheck. Like that wasn't, you know, it wasn't 3%, which I think was like the the strike before them, before that. Um, And you're just like, but actually teachers should be paid twice as much. And, you know, so it is hard to both kind of claim victory and be like this whole system suspect.
1: Right. I think, and one of the big issues is, like, classroom size caps and something mm. that we, um, I don't know that that got, I don't believe it got, I don't know, I don't know. I'm, I'm so f- wrung out from it, but I think, I hope that, like, we'll get some interesting ballot measures that will address um, all of this. Like, uh, Florida is not anyone's idea of, like, a successful functional state I don't think but um
0: I I mean I I think it really is for for some people (laughs) but
1: but, okay Uh, no one that I know thank god but um I should that's so mean I don't know I'm feeling it's been a long month Um, you're mean today I like it today bring it on I think it's the caffeine you're worn out I'm worn out but also so the morning began with they let us know late last night that school's happening today this is Sunday night after a long weekend yeah. and so we had already told our son he could do a movie night I just thought the earliest we're going back is like Wednesday at this point point, um, and then they're like bam school tomorrow and my son I told him and we talked about it but this morning he was just I mean I have rarely he was in rare form like screaming his head off and I was like this is an absolutely like shocking transition for you so he's home today cuz it just I was like this is this is bananas. Like you were talking before Sarah about mental health days and I was like this is a yeah. I said I said we have to go back to school um and you can start today and I think that would be nice or you can start tomorrow if you want. I was sad to miss drop off today because his teacher sent a really nice email about like I'm going to have the biggest smile on my face when I see Aww. your kids and definitely made me cry. Um but I think, yeah, today what was hard was just seeing his, um, maybe confusion, a month's worth of low-key confusion come to a head in, in his, um, really in his body. Like, he was, he, mm. it was about, mm-hmm. it was about clothes. His, his freak out this morning was about clothes, but... It wasn't really about clothes. Um, and it was great. You know, I just it was um, great to see what he clearly needed, which was another day yeah. at home. So yeah,
0: yeah. And yeah, yeah, just to be flexible about it. I'm glad you could provide him that without totally losing your shit. I oh might gosh. have been like, I am sorry, I'm dragging your huddled mass into into childcare place. but Well, it was um, like a debate. But I, I can see how, you know, if you could do it, that that was probably a good move for him.
1: It's hard to know. Just you know, we're having that whole conversation in your mind of like, what would his pediatrician tell me to do? What would his, oh. you know? And it was like, I don't know if the right thing, because, you know, they say, they, I don't know. Like, should I, you know, Is it more soothing to preserve the boundary? Like, you need to go? Or is it... And to show him that what he's afraid of isn't scary? Like, because then he goes and does it? Or... But there was just something in his body and the way he was... He screamed. He's... And he doesn't usually scream. And he was on the bathroom floor screaming for the sake of screaming. And I just... It was like a gut level decision of like...
0: Yeah. You don't have to do this today. I think... Like. One thing that we forget when we kind of take on a parenting doctrine is that there are like billions of moments that make up a childhood, right? And so you can kind of generally feel like you believe that consistent boundaries are good for children. And, you know, I, I would hope you're noticing who your kid is and kind of also thinking that they tend to do better with that. But then like, of course, there would be times when you make an exception. I I just, and, and I think that's good parenting to be like this thing that I read is not the like, always rule. The always rule is like, what's happening right now? Uh, what's my capacity? What's my kid's capacity? Yeah, there's going to be like moments of learning. I mean, your kid's going to learn that life is full of Times that he has to buck up and do stuff, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I support you.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I'm going to go to yoga Great. tomorrow. I'm going to, it's going to be good. I'm going to work it out in yoga.
0: Good. Like a, like a, like clean, a, like a, a real good modern mother. Yeah.
1: Take it to yoga. Um, twist myself literally into such uncomfortable positions that I can't think about anything but that for like 90 minutes. And then
0: 90 I'm, minutes. Oh yeah. Ooh. Oh yeah. Girl. I need it. Um
1: okay, so let's dig into this episode. Um today we are mixing it up a little bit and I'm going to ask Sarah all the questions that I've always wanted to ask her
0: about herself. I love being interviewed. This is it's like a Cosmo quiz, but in real time. Well and sign me up. As usual, my ulterior motive here is to
1: then also hopefully get to talk a little bit about myself. Which is Fine. my favorite thing. Uh,
0: <laughs> Granted, <laughs>
1: this is one of the first things that Sarah and I, I guess, have discovered in this conversation that we have in common that we
0: like. Like talk, that we like talking about ourselves. Yeah,
1: <laughs> you know, I do listen to our podcast, obviously, and um, my husband is proud. He thinks it's the most Miranda thing ever to enjoy listening to my own the sound of my own voice. It confirms like everything he's always suspected about me. So. I yikes i know i know it's it's bad um <laughs> this is what happens when theater kids grow up um all right so sarah um we kind of I, I should say i i first discovered you because of working at romper and started reading the other things that romper published not just my own work and i started noticing that these pieces by this Sarah Wheeler person tended to be some of my favorites. And then I started reading your newsletter and mom spreading, which is lovely and wonderful. And I just, it was like this parenting voice that I was looking for. It was the one that, that spoke to me, um, and, I mean, there are many that I like, but I really was like, wow, this really is resonating with me, this perspective, this gray area., um, like you don't shy away from the complexity of it all. And I think that was really satisfying to me um, to read. So so we got to know each other that way. and I I just kind of wanted to know a little bit more about you. like we we're working together and we read each other's work, but I don't actually know like much about your entrance into motherhood like how you became My a your matrescence like did <laughs> how did you decide to become a mother and what did it mean to you and what were your hopes and dreams and how oh old God. were you and and what did it feel like and I know. thought you
0: were gonna ask me like am I a fall or a spring <laughs> <laughs> uh, obviously I'm a summer but um okay okay I can do this mm-hmm. yeah 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 Yeah, well, I learned that word, matrescence, from you. Uh, I remember, you know, our first phone conversation, I was walking on this kind of loop at uh, uh, a friend's house in the country and just kind of walking it over and over again while we had this kind of epic meandering conversation about motherhood. And and I thought, like, you know, this is all I want to do is kind of just loop back and back and back and kind of pull this stuff apart until, you know, until I'm satisfied um, and with somebody intelligent. And it re- it really felt like that. Um, I don't really see another option than complexity. Um, it just feels like you have to be in such denial to th- think that there's simple answers to kind of questions about motherhood and parenting. Um, so... So that being said, I'll I'll give you a complicated answer to your question. I mean, I don't really think I thought at all about becoming a mother. I was with my partner for almost 20 years before we had kids. I felt like he was the person for me. We eventually we'd get married and then we'd have children and he really wanted kids. I I worked with kids my my whole life. I, I was a special education teacher and then a school psychologist and an educational psychologist. And even when I was like a second grader, I spent all my free time in the kindergarten class, you know, reading Brown Bear, Brown Bear and like sorting puzzles and just being around children. I love children. So I just thought that that would kind of be enough. Um,
1: like as in and you I didn't think, you wait maybe didn't care if you became a parent yourself because you were already no
0: no I I I felt that I wanted to but I don't really think I thought about why or what it would actually feel like and how different it would be from caring for other people's children which it's been it's massively different mm-hmm. um, and so I just did it it was like the next step on my checklist and how did it and- feel. Oh <laughs> boy. Well, that's where I'm like that's gray area time, right? I mean, I I remember when I um when I got the positive pregnancy test. I I had a apartment full of people. We were watching the Warriors playoffs and I and it was like a very early pregnancy test. We'd had some kind of difficulty getting pregnant. I had gone to fertility and gotten like hormones. I was taking hormones to ovulate. And so I just I didn't think it would happen quickly. And then it did. And I just kind of walked past this (laughs) living room full of people that felt like they were kind of like frozen in some tableau and got in my car and drove to the grocery store and cried in the parking lot. And
1: did you tell your partner? Like, have you told your partner yet? Or are you just like,
0: no. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow.
1: So you had it no. to yourself for a little bit.
0: I was like I have to be alone with this. And and I was surprised by that. It I thought it would be nothing but excitement. I mean, I knew that people have difficult pregnancies and births and I you know, I've worked with neurodivergent and disabled kids and their parents my whole career. So I also know that like you, things happen that you didn't expect. Um and parenting can can be harder than you imagined, um, or different than you imagined. There is also just a lot of love um, in those families, and unexpected joy, and advocacy, and all sorts of cool things that happen when you do get kind of hit with something surprising around becoming a parent. But so I I kind of like knew that that difficulty was there, but I just. Don't think I thought about it and how it related to me. And I thought kind of knowing child psychology was enough, but I really hadn't read a lot of stories um, that were dark or honest at all about motherhood. And um Yeah, I mean, even after I had a child, it continued to kind of feel like that day with the pregnancy test and the frozen tableau of life kind of happening around me and being kind of alone with this complex storm of feelings about which I felt some shame. It took me a long time, I think, till after I had a second kid, even to come out of that what I would call like fugue that was like, what did I do um why did I do it and how do I land in it Mm
1: -hmm. and how far apart were your kids
0: they were like two years two years and again it was like the second kid was like the next thing I was gonna say yeah did you
1: know like your husband wanted it or you wanted it or
0: I there I have five kids in my family my siblings are my best friends And they help me make sense of the world. They understand me deeply. I enjoy them very much as people. And I always thought I would have like four or five kids. My husband has two kids in his family. He always wanted more siblings. So yeah, there was never, it was not an option to me to have one child um, until I had a second. And then I was like, oh, that was a choice point. And I just didn't see it as one. Mm
1: i think a lot of i get the sense that a lot of people feel that way especially if they are a person with siblings like it's like this is there's a you know there's a lot of talk a lot of chit chat um around almost like what kind of monster would not let your child have a sibling you know like I, I, i i know i know it's kind of kind of gross but um I think it's sort of a, it's like a Facebook grandma kind of comment. You know, I'm not saying that it's how maybe a lot of people who are being their best selves would feel or say, but um,
0: like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. out there. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's out there. And
1: I don't think that, you know, but there's a sense of duty. Like, yes. will my child, who, what if they're strange and they don't have any friends? And then now
0: if I don't give them a sibling,
1: they'll be alone or, you know.
0: Um, Yeah. You, you very kindly mentioned my writing and my newsletter and I, and I thank you so much um, Thank for, for reading it. Um, And I, one of the things I I write about, maybe people like you who do a close study are tired of this, um, but I say it over and over just in case you, you know, it's your first time and you're never coming back is, (laughs) is that, well, one, that we're always just kind of Trying to either relive live the successes of our childhood or you know redo the mistakes, and so everybody has a story about how many children they want to have or not having children. That in some ways I think relates from something that they felt was good or bad about their own childhood, but also we have all of these stereotypes that sometimes are based on little bits of research, like about only children. Um, that are pretty bullshit. They're not updated for the culture that we live in. They're not really rigorously studied. And so these kind of little tidbits uh, trickle down from research like that, you know, only children, you know, have trouble with social connections or something like that was found in one study of like 50 kids who were all, you know, who all lived in Berkeley and were white and middle-class and they just like gave their parents a survey or something that's not really very robust scientifically. And then that's something that we just throw around or Facebook grandmas post about it, right. Without actually, um, without it really being backed up and with it being so biased by our own experiences. So I will just officially say that, Oh yeah. Once I had a second kid, I saw my friends with one kid and I was like, you guys are geniuses. Like you recognize, well, some people that's, that's for a lot of reasons that some people that's not their choice. Mm -hmm. Um, But for some people it's really intentional. And I was not in touch with my own limitations as a parent and, um, at that point, so I, I could not ask myself the question of like, kind of, can you handle this mm-hmm. and what are the risks versus benefits? Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, so I'm an only child and my husband has a sibling and I, well, I'm not, Okay. I have a half sister, but we're 11 years apart and we didn't grow up in the same house really. So I should thats so say, interesting. I don't want to, my half
0: sister is 12 years older than me, but we're really close as adults, but as children, we, we, well, not, not so much, not in the same way.
1: Um, yeah, well, I think that, um, I just don't want to discount her, but she's, um, she's substantially younger than me. So we, we had pretty different experiences and, um, Uh, we have different moms. So la. Um, but I think, you know, I didn't go in, much like you're saying, like I didn't go in with a whole lot of thought. I it's interesting that you were with your partner for so long. I was also uh I had known my husband since I was fifteen and we got together when we were twenty one and Um, I just think we were never in a rush to grow up and we were never in a rush to do anything, you know, um, I certainly not consciously, but maybe subconsciously, maybe a little bit consciously. We, we kind of just enjoyed our twenties together. And I think there was this sense that we both had a lot of growing to do and we were just going to do that. And I think we always assumed we would stay together, but also we didn't want to be locked in maybe. And, um. But once we turned 30 for the same age, we, it was sort of like, oh, there's this thing. And I started to think about,
0: wait, this thing, like having children, this, this thing, like having children. And
1: I started to think about my body and like the, the risks of, of waiting. And, um, if we knew that this was something we were going to do at that point, it became more like, well, then why wait? Because it could get harder. It could be harder on my body. Uh, who knows if we can even do this? And what if it takes three years instead of like a month? And I, I the more, I just sort of started to think more seriously about it. And then, um, but I don't think I thought I didn't think about
0: the work of parenthood,
1: which I think right like really... what comes
0: after the onesies kind of yeah.
1: And I think it's yeah. really strange. And I think that for some reason we just don't. And I didn't, isn't it? Yeah, it is weird. Um,
0: so I have a question for you, which is, you know, you have, um, when I was, you know, first kind of getting into your work, I saw on your website, you have, you know, your motherhood curriculum. And I was just amazed by this, you know, this whole page of books and articles, um, about motherhood. And, you know, I, I recognized some of them some some I had read and others I had not but I didn't really get into that curriculum until it became like a necessity um because I I think I was struggling so much with motherhood I needed to understand it better there was no like preventive aspect to it and I and I do know some um women who are thinking about having children who really have gone deeply into that curriculum, part of it is I think there's there's more of it than there was you know eight, nine years ago when I was kind of on the cusp of of motherhood. But I wondered like how many of those books did you read before you became a mother?
1: None. yeah, oh interesting. <laughs> what did I read? I wow. read when I was pregnant, I read I on my nightstand, I had what to expect.
0: Wait, um, is on your nightstand mean red or no? Are you being glam? No, I really read it. I was okay. reading.
1: I was reading it. I was reading. You
0: read what to expect when you're expecting.
1: I sure did. I read it like month to month. I would like look. If, I would be excited to read. Like, oh, now I'm this month. I'm going to read this month. I know. Oh my god, that book
0: gave me hives. Oh yeah, it was. I,
1: I don't recommend. I should. I should clarify. Like, don't do that. But I did that, and okay, um, And then I too. also read. Um, uh, expecting better.
0: Yes, so did I. You gotta, when I you when I to. finally told my sister, who's a midwife, that I was pregnant, I I kind of felt like I had to tell her because I was like, I need to know if I can like have you know, avocados or whatever. <laughs> and she was like, "There's one book, and it was that expecting one. better." So I felt and it's a very comforting book.
1: It is so it is so comforting, and I. But it
0: but it does not get into you know the the emotions of, of motherhood no. for sure.
1: I felt very um, like I really knew what I was talking about being pregnant because I had worked at a cheese shop uh, when we lived in New York and people used to come in all, all pregnant and being like, I can't eat any of these cheeses. And everything we sold was American. And I was like, actually, you can have all of these cheeses because in America, you can't sell on pasture. Like it, we, you can't have the dangerous cheeses here and so i you were
0: already ready to be like I was a, like
1: basically an OB. I mean
0: cool. Yeah. Pregnant cool chick.
1: Yeah, kind of. But then when it, of course, but then you become pregnant and you're like I don't actually I don't know if you feel this way and if people love to drink when they're pregnant. I, that's great, but I was just I didn't
0: I mean feel like it. Well, is it great? If you love to drink. It's when not great. Pregnant. I mean, don't do well, that. Yeah, don't do that. I I would have a I I would have a drink. I think there was like a New Year's Eve wedding, super mm. pregnant. I, I had a couple glasses of champagne. You know, yes. I feel
1: like when you're super, once I got to the end, I felt like he was cooked. And I was like, we're good. But <laughs> it was the early day. I was nervous. I had a miscarriage before my first pregnancy. And so. Yeah, that
0: so your history impacts yeah, what you do, for sure. I was anxious.
1: And I was, the mm. glass of wine that I had, after I miscarried the next day, I was like, I can have a beer now, you know, and it didn't, it was a, it was an empty victory.
0: Um, yeah. It sounds like a sad, sad, it's beer. A sad beer. It's not yeah. a, not a fun beer. How? When did you miscarry at
1: the time? I sold handmade jam. That was my job. I, I was making small batch jam. Um, I was trying to put my food studies master's degree, um, into practice I was like I'm going to participate in the food system instead of writing about it I'm going to like live it and I'm going to make this tiny batch jam and I'm going to sell it you know local fruit I'm going to sell it locally for what it should really cost and it turns out people don't want to pay what that costs (laughs) so it turns out it's 40 dollars yeah so but I was selling I was actually miscarrying at a maker's market at a um it's like a valentine's maker's market oh, standing boy. there miscarrying scene. yeah so if if uh, like a customer service person is ever like rude to you just consider they might be miscarrying that's wow you know and get, Ooh, just girl anyway
0: <laughs> so but it was so know. that yeah so that 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 informed your second pregnancy and but you weren't reading so we were talking about your night take, oh yeah sorry you weren't reading no you weren't reading um you know, Rachel cuss a life's work. Oh, for... but that was the one when I found it. Yeah. So,
1: so after Griffin was born, my first child, I, I think I was maybe eight months in when, um, so I decided to close my business because I realized after, the calculus of my work became, cost of childcare versus income per hour. Um, I realized I wasn't paying myself a living wage to do this Mm -hmm. jam company. It worked when I didn't have to count hours, but when it became that I would have to pay for them and my time cost money, it didn't work anymore. So I closed my business and stayed home with him and started writing again, actually, uh, some lovely women who have a food website and are mothers themselves, um, who I met through a friend, um, paid me a very good hourly wage for like blog posts. And so that was a great flexible thing. I worked like 90 minutes a day. It was, it was great. Um so I was home with Griffin and I liked being home with him. I I liked it. I mean, I had struggled with anxiety and things, but I I mostly just enjoyed it and I felt but I wanted to think about motherhood and I wanted to think about it in this complicated way and it felt like this huge thing. And I didn't know what to read. And a couple people were like, You should read Operating Instructions by Anne Lamott. And I thought, Okay. And I read it and yeah, it was fine. I mean, it was older and it was kind of religious, kind of Jesus y. Um, she made some nice points, but it, it's just like, Was there something else? And then eventually I found a life's work and I was like, This. This is what I wanted to read. Um, That one and Sarah Manguso's Ongoingness Mm. um, about she had kept a diary her whole life and she stops keeping the diary. Um, And it's about sort of becoming a parent, changed her relationship with her need to record her life. And it's very beautiful and it's very short. Um, And then Little Labors by Rivka Galchen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I just read that actually for the for the first time. Um and it's interesting, you know, there's also like what you need when. Yes. Um, you know, I think if I picked up Little Labors a few years ago, it would have I wouldn't have been able to put it down. You know, it would have mm-hmm. felt like a, a fire was burning between me and the book and I couldn't put it out. Um, and being in a kind of better place I guess as a mother I was like oh this is interesting but um it doesn't feel imperative but when I read uh Rachel Cusks memoir it's her memoir of um pregnancy and birth and kind of um having a baby um I I'd heard you know I think women of our age you know had we were privy to people talking about you know, that parenting was hard, right? And that being a mother was hard. It's by the time it got to us, you know, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. You know, there's certainly a lot of that. But I think people were starting to tell the truth. Um, But I never got the details of that truth. You know, I felt like it was socially acceptable to complain about motherhood. But I didn't really know what that looked like um, and what kind of deep actual vulnerability was under the complaint. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think Rachel Kuss book does that. She has this one scene where she um, leaves her baby for maybe the first time and she's in a cab and she's going out to dinner with a friend. And she talks about the, the, that feeling, the feeling both that like in this animal way, she, She's kind of like split in half being away from her child, um, but also that it's kind of the most exhilarating thing she's ever felt. And I read that when I was a new-ish mother. And it was the first time that I really heard somebody give words to what I was feeling. Um, and, you know, when you talk about liking being home with your kid, I, I feel this kind of pain. Like, I, I wish I could have that for myself. Um I that I never really got to experience that. I I stayed home um with my first child. I was on leave for 8 months and then I went back to work part-time and I insisted on keeping him home with me a few days a week and I just I just hated it. I I love my child and there was joy in it, but I was miserable and I think that when I was away from him, I did not feel like I missed this person. I felt what Rachel Cusk was describing, which is like there has been a cleaving and something is kind of biologically wrong, but I didn't want to be with him of my own accord and because it brought me pleasure. It was something that I felt I had to do um, that would be good for him and and good for us and that I wanted to prove I was capable of. Um and I, I think it just was, you know, inflicting harm on myself in a way.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I, I wonder. Sometimes I don't want to talk about how much I liked that
0: time yeah. with him. Mm-hmm. It's like if your baby, if you have one of those babies that sleeps through the night at six weeks and they do exist. I had a friend, I visited a friend where that was the situation and she was like, honestly i i don't tell people yeah
1: no say so griffin did he's a good sleeper and that may be part of it right like i was rested i you know he was um at at like i don't remember 10 days old or something he slept seven hours and like i called the pediatrician and was like did he die like what is you know what is happening and they're like well congratulations you know (laughs) it's not gonna happen again anytime soon and by 10 weeks, he was sleeping 10 hours a night,
0: and... Yeah, um, actually, like, I do feel like that's the most dangerous thing that's been said on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't want it, but you know what? You're going to get hate mail. <laughs> I know.
1: I, look, I I think that we are very lucky our children are sleepers. Um, we are also, like, hardcore sleep training people. Like, I do not pick my kids up. They don't sleep in my bed. I don't... I mean, mm-hmm. I pick them up in, when they're awake, when they're supposed to be awake, but... Um, I don't function very well without sleep. So I get you get a lot of sleep. But um
0: well, no, well no one does. Right. But you but something in you allowed you to make that a priority yeah. and then your kid, I think, you know, it's this it's, it's both, this mix right. between temperament, Luck. exactly. Your I mean, kid your kid was available to be yeah. trained to do that. Yeah. I no, I'm I'm happy for you and I do think that makes a difference. I mean, we know it makes a difference yeah. in maternal well-being, but it's interesting how that's kind of a bit of a cycle. And I right? credit
1: like, that. I mean, I really do. Cause I yeah. think I was at night when he, he went to bed, you know, and, and so I had two hours to myself at night. Um, and that was kind of all I needed. And, and also, he, you know, my second child is loud. Um, he was not loud. He was a relatively quiet, you know, I think babies have different temperaments and he and I vibed, and, yeah. and that's not always the case. And I don't, I love both my kids, but I don't maybe vibe as naturally with my second child. And I don't know if that's, you know, hopefully that's not terrible to say, but, um, more but hate
0: mail. I love
1: her <laughs> equally, but we don't naturally vibe. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, I have like, um, I have, uh, you know to put it kind of crudely an introvert and an extrovert. And so I have to work harder to kind of in certain situations to be simpatico with my introvert because my extrovert if I suggest something she's like that's what I was thinking. Um so that that's just true. I mean, one thing that makes me well, one question I have for you Miranda too is, you know, I experience you as someone who you know has a range of emotions and who really engages with the motherhood curriculum on this intellectual level that also becomes personal but i also experience you as a pretty like emotionally regulated person and i think one thing that i wish i'd known before i became a mother was how emotionally dysregulated I I can get. And I think, you know, all parents can get overloaded. But um, getting an ADHD diagnosis, like after I'd had two kids, and kind of going into that world of what women who struggle with emotional and kind of sensory regulation are talking about was huge for me and i could see that that that's that's not all of it right but that was this huge piece of the mothering puzzle for me that like i was actually getting overloaded um and having this kind of like physiological overwhelm in addition to this identity crisis and did you did you experience that on that level or do you kind of do you see the distinction that that i see between um you know between me and you and like some of your friends and others that like you know there are just people who um get overloaded
1: oh yeah i think yeah um well there's so much that you just said that resonates like when you mentioned matrescence earlier i do want to hear more about your um kind of like process of becoming a mother and you say you were in this like fugue state for two years and and I'm curious if writing was a way out of that or absolutely yeah
0: processing yeah. yeah absolutely yeah yeah um yeah and you you talked at the top of the episode about um about needing to write in order to process your feelings about the strikes yeah I I think I'd always enjoyed writing I'd did a different career path. I became an educational psychologist, um, which involves a lot of writing, but it's like very different. And um, and then I started writing during the pandemic. I started a newsletter that was supposed to be about education. And I was like, just kidding. There's not really a lot of educating going on. And also, I have got to tell you what's happening inside my home and my heart and my brain. <laughs> and so it became about, about parenting. Um, and I do think that, well, I think this kind of like symbiotic relationship ended up happening where the writing really helped me and has helped me process, um, uh, my feelings about being a mother and, um, motherhood has kind of given me something interesting that I'm really, uh, to write about, mm-hmm. um, because I, I do worry, um, about mothers. You know, I've, I mean, mothers throughout history are worthy of worry, right? Mm-hmm. We've had a, a bad lot. Um, and I, I think one of the things that like freed me and continues to free me um, has been in kind of trying to fight against some of the kind of modern motherhood culture and particularly the messages around like what being a good parent is. Mm-hmm. And so I, I worry about how much noise we're getting um, about how to raise a child well, um, which usually involves an incredible amount of maternal kind of suffering. And I think I was doing some of that to myself, and that was part of the problem. So, yeah, so the writing that's like how I came to writing. I don't know if I would have, you know, started writing more if I didn't feel that need to, that came out of motherhood. And there's the beauty in it, right? It's like, you have to, at some point, I think I just kind of looked around after years and I was like, oh, no one's coming for me. I have to figure this out. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yes. And I think also the, um, I think for you, but I don't want to project onto you, but for me too, um, like in that motherhood curriculum, you know, so much of what I did finally find, um, which I found, I think I went to Powell's here and, and there, I just, one author led to another and led to another. And eventually I found the writing that I was looking
0: for. And, um, I'm then, imagining the stack, your bedside table, just like growing and growing and kind of curving and taking over the room. <laughs>
1: it's a problem at this point because there's and it's, and new stuff
0: comes out all the time. And it's I know very it's stressful. I mean, We're it's, in a
1: golden age of mother culture. Truly, I think as a yeah. as a as a mother writer, which is a term that I have mixed feelings about, but let's just use it because it's convenient. Like, I think that we you and I both um, are driven by curiosity um, really, really a genuine curiosity about other mothers and, and kind of their experience as a mirror for our own. And, and also Mm -hmm. like you say, the, the, the worry that underlies a lot of what we do. Um, and I see that as sort of like, um, the work of motherhood in this culture, in this moment, um, has radicalized a lot of us. Um, and after going through the pandemic too, I think that really compounded the sense of, um, like you say, no one is coming to save us and everything tells us that, right? Like every, every experience that we have tells us that. And, um, and I think that we see friends become pregnant and of course you're excited for them, but but something that you and I have talked about away from the podcast and that we will cover on here eventually is after having experienced matrescence ourselves and all of the complexities therein. Um, and like, we will talk about that term in another episode, but the, the TLDR is, it's a way of talking about this transformation that we undergo when we become a Mother and it's akin to adolescence, um, indicating mm. like hormonal changes, physical changes, brain changes, um, synaptic pruning, all of these things.
0: That... Like it's a developmental period. Yes. A true development. Yeah, yeah. And because
1: it is, and and it, to me, the term, it, you know, it, it encompasses the pain and the growth and the challenge and the loss and the joy and the, you know, is a it's you could say a blooming. And it's a time of loss and it's a time of growth um, and all of these things, all the things. And I think that um, when we see uh, when I see a friend become pregnant, (laughs) I want to tell them all. It
0: sounds a little bit sorry when you say that, like you kind of watch like I watch. Yeah, like you're (laughs) like you like to watch your friends. Have have intercourse. We're just-
1: <laughs> we're really close. We're we're all very close. No, just kidding. That that would be my- I like
0: being like you know what I'm an expert now. I've learned a lot. um You just you probably want me there.
1: It's P and G.
0: Well, there's lots of ways to become pregnant. Right? There you go. Oh, but, dang it. But. Yeah. But it only happens if Miranda saw it. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay, No, but I know what you mean. You know, when you're friend, you get the call and you have that like complex (laughs) of emotions. I mean, uh, yeah, that like I'm excited for you, but I want to make sure, you know, all the things. But also you have to kind of find those out on your own. Yeah. I, I definitely have those moments with other mother friends, especially, you know, newer mothers, where I, I kind of don't know, am I seeing, you know, when I see a friend of mine, I think make a mistake I made, like kind of doing too much childcare for their kid in a way that I don't think is bringing them joy. Mm-hmm. Do I intervene? Do I kind of tell them a cautionary tale? Um, am I overstepping and projecting? Right. Or is it just they have to figure it out in their own time?
1: Right. And there's like, what would I have wanted? What, But the, what they want is not what I would have wanted. But they right. don't know we what all they have want. have different
0: temperaments like yeah. children and t- and different situations. It's
1: so tough. I Well, I think that, you know, one of the things that the reason I wanted to have a, an episode where we just sort of talk to each other about who we are as people and as mothers and our own experience of entering into this is because I think it's core at the core of like what we're doing here is like our shared somewhat bottomless curiosity about being a mother, being, being a thinking mother. Like everyone is a thinking mother, but um everyone who is a, a mother is thinking, but just like, I think we have this shared it's not obsessive curiosity. I don't know what you would call your
0: curiosity about well, why wouldn't it why wouldn't we be obsessed with this? right? I mean, you know, I think there's so many um versions of like the journey that 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 we're on, right? like I, you know, I want to understand what's happening right now. What's in store for me? You know, I mean, parenthood is so myopic, right? So like our children are around the same age. We are really in that world. We don't know anything about, you know, parenting a teen. And I hear that from a lot of friends that like you find yourself in a new stage of parenthood and you're like well no one told me about this part either so it keeps kind of happening um and we kind of think that our little data point is the most interesting and important Um, and it's another way that like scaling up and looking at the big picture would probably be helpful for us but also like you know like a like detective in front of like one of those boards with the, with the like red strings and, you know, like the pictures of Stringer Bell and stuff. I, I'm like trying to figure out what happened to me. Um, Like mm-hmm. what happened back there? Mm-hmm. Who, and who's responsible? <laughs> what, you know, like trying to solve the mystery of like, mm-hmm. how do, you know, educated, uh, reflective, you know, interesting feminist women become mothers and, um, and lose themselves, mm-hmm. right? And
1: like you're saying, so, feel. I think we both shared the sense that uh, we really didn't maybe think that hard about it. Like it was, yeah. Like it was like, well, yeah. I think I think I'm going to do that. <laughs> like uh, this is a. I I used to liken the learning curve of new parenthood to like, um, like someone like you wake up and you're expected to perform like open heart surgery and you didn't go to medical school and like the people in the room just say like, Oh,
0: you, you just know, you just know what to do. And right, it's, like, <laughs> right. it's just instinctive. Yeah. Which tool and where the spleen is. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. not,
1: I mean, I, well, and not um, only
0: that, but if you don't know you're, you're a bad person. Right. Right. Yeah. You don't. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a weird, it's a really weird thing. And you, I, I wrote about this, but like when my daughter was born, my younger, um, we gave away and she outgrew something and we gave it away. And I was like skipping down the driveway to give it away. It was some baby thing. And I was just like, I'm done. <laughs> this yeah. is great. I am never going to need this thing ever again. And I don't know. It was a doc or some dumb thing. And, um, this pregnant lady kind of Walks up to get it, and she was saying some mumbling something about, like, Oh, yeah, I'm doing three weeks, it's gonna be great, it's our first, blah blah. And I was still feeling pretty raw, I guess. And I said, I just sort of blurted out, like, Well, a bomb's gonna go off in your life, and then everything's <laughs> gonna change, and it's and and uh, you know, eventually it'll be fine. And I'm like, see you later. And then I went back in my house. <laughs> I, and then I thought for, like, three days about what I had said and why I had said it, and, and if I felt bad about it. And I decided that that's what maybe we should tell everybody is about to happen to them.
0: Let's all be, like, the crazy lady in the horror film that's like, you don't, you know, this town has secrets you don't know, you know? <laughs> like, wearing a bathrobe. I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the question of, like, do you... Um, do you share your story and, and kind of when and mm-hmm. do you have to wait for people to ask for it is interesting. But, I you know, I also just you asking these questions feels um, it's very moving to me. Like I was thinking about I don't know what you would say to this, but like, when do you get to talk about this? I mean, I have wonderful mom friends and sisters who are mothers and um we talk about parenting all the time but like to really sit down and and say like how how did you become a mother um and why and and what happened next why wouldn't that be like one of the cultural activities that comes with every move into parenthood i mean all parents need that right is kind of like we have these baby journals, right. (laughs) Of like their first time they smiled and it's like, actually, you know, what would probably be useful is at least a year of recording, you know, your own parental biography. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: I, I journaled
0: about it, you know, so I have always kept a journal. I think that's why
1: Sarah Manguso's book resonated with me so much. Um, and the way that I kept it when Griffin was a baby, so I would nurse, nurse him, or he would sleep in my arms, and I would text myself um,
0: things, and that. Beca- but were you talking about like your own experience, or was it just like? About was it was it really focused on you because there's so much of that but we focus it on the baby yeah
1: you know it was it was both and it was sometimes more reflective and sometimes more just jotting stuff down but it's interesting to revisit it because when he was about six days old I wrote this entry and it was like very sunny like. Oh, Hmm. we're figuring it out and we're getting the hang of it, which is just hilarious um, to me now. Because, of course, I was only at the very beginning of what would be a very complicated journey. And when you mentioned emotional regulation, I I wanted to say that no compliment could mean more to me than hearing that I seem emotionally regulated. Um, But that comes from any sort of regulation that I have comes from. Uh, Lots of therapy and then um, daily like practices that try to help me regulate. But um, I went to therapy to deal with anxiety when Griffin was like 18 months old. And it sort of took me that long to address pretty intense anxiety that I had that I think I partially dealt with by staying home with him. Like I enjoyed it. I liked being home with him and it also perhaps not in the healthiest way. Because mm, you that
0: were I'd... like, I can control this. Yes. And I'll just stay in this controlled space.
1: And yeah. if I don't yeah. do this, he won't sleep well, he'll get sick, and then I'll I and then I can't handle that.
0: So Oh yeah, that does sound like a trap.
1: Um okay, so Sarah, uh this is we tend to be long-winded, so we're going to try to wrap it up. Um, one last question. Um, we both have loved to read and write about motherhood, and now we're making a podcast about it. Um, but I have to ask, is anyone listening?
0: Ooh. Okay, that's interesting. Does it feel like anyone's listening? Well, is anyone listening to the podcast? <laughs> my, my mom's listening. Um, yeah, I mean... I think what you're asking around, like, is anyone listening to this discourse? And I would say emphatically, yes. I think that I i said earlier, I think we're in the golden age of mother culture. Um, that doesn't mean that it's not a very difficult time to be a mother. Um, but I think because it's been so difficult the last several years, particularly, things are kind of coming to this interesting head. And there are so many smart and interesting women writing about motherhood in different ways. I think there could still be more, you know? Like, certainly that space has been dominated by white women and um, is starting to be varied, but um, could use more. You know, and able-bodied women, like... There, you know, I'm hearing more stories about you know being a disabled mother, and you know all of that is helpful. Like I think the more, the more, the more narratives, the better. So I do. I think mothers are like ready to talk um, and ready to listen to each other, and that is another reason why I think I was drawn to this genre um, because it's so exciting right now, and there's so many interesting voices. What about you? Like, do you think? Do you feel like people are listening? (laughs)
1: Um. Yes, I hope so. I think, like we both said, you know, um, I have a constant nagging sense of urgency around people about to become mothers, but Mm. I also wonder, and I'm maybe getting making peace with the idea that the people that I'm talking to when I write these things, or when we when we make a podcast. Are probably people who are a little bit further down the path. And like you said, are maybe they might be looking backwards and saying, What happened to me? And so it may be that I can't prepare people, but I can participate in offering context when people are ready to to ask that question.
0: And Right. It's like parenting a teenager. When they're ready and they come out, they come out of their room, you'll be there.
1: <laughs> Exactly. And that's all I, that's all I want. So, Uh, but I agree. I think it's a golden age. I mean, um, people have all, you know, the idea no one told me, we all know everyone is talking about it all the time. And there have been um, people writing about motherhood in interesting ways for decades and longer. And, um, you know, I think when people are ready to hear it, there's plenty that's there and I'm excited to, um, to be just participating in that. The conversation is, is good. And
0: yeah, I'm almost envisioning, did you have, so our birth class was called centering at like the, you know, at the hospital. Um, and I was always so curious about that word choice. Like, what are we centering around? And it, you know, it really felt birth oriented. Um, and i would like a centering class uh around the psychological and emotional journey of becoming a motherhood and i don't becoming a motherhood yeah oh that's <laughs> oh. that's an interesting mistake <laughs> um i don't know maybe for different women like you said that that needs to happen at different times i don't know if i would have been ready for that uh, in pregnancy, maybe people did tell me, honestly, Miranda, maybe I had that doc lady, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. screaming the truth. (laughs) Like, and I, I wasn't ready to listen. You can't hear it. I I don't think you
1: can hear it. I don't think you have the context. It's just, there are things that you don't understand until you do them, you know? Or you
0: think it'll be different for you,
1: you know? Yeah. 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 And, and, or you want to believe, you know, that it will be easy or you have to maybe. Because, because you want it, and I'm not telling people that you shouldn't want it. It's just that it might not be what you think it's gonna be. And yeah, um, but yeah, I think I'm just um, excited to participate in the conversation, and also to, to, you know, we talk a lot, but I think we both like to listen. And that's half of why we're here.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for chatting with me, friend. Thanks for being interested in my story. <gasps>
1: I am I very much am
0: well that's all for mother culture today and like my mom always said when you become a mother you will lose your entire sense of self and it will kind of just be like a pile on the floor of debris and then you'll have to kind of turn it into something else and it won't be what it was before but it'll be like a new thing that is more painful but in some ways also more joyous and it'll be fun Mother Culture is produced by Opus Knox Media with music by It's Electric. Follow us on Instagram at Mother Culture Show and find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to feed the all-knowing algorithm by liking, following, subscribing, rating, and reviewing. Thank you, and please check out our Patreon at patreon.com/slash Mother Culture Pod, where you can follow us for free or become a paid member for just five dollars a month, which honestly doesn't even get you a latte in major American cities these days. You'll support our production and receive some serious perks.